Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much to our sponsor, Healing Insight Acupuncture and Holistic Medicine on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senya May and her team of practitioners can help patients with everything from digestion to weight loss, autoimmune conditions to fertility, and so much more. But today we're talking about sleep. It is crucial to our health, and a lot of us aren't getting enough good quality rest. And Senya says things like stress or anxiety, a nutritional deficiency, or a hormonal imbalance can be impacting our sleep. Healing Insight can help with those issues and treat you with acupuncture, utilizing calming points on the wrist, on the heart meridian that help you finally relax and sleep, and recommending herbs to calm stress and supplements to balance hormones. I see Senya regularly. She places needles in strategic points and then just lets me rest. I call it an acupuncture nap, and it's like a full night of restorative sleep in about 30 minutes. Visit HealingInsightOnline.com to see Senia's gorgeous new website and learn all about all of the treatments she offers. That's HealingInsightOnline.com. I'm Marjorie Punnett, and this is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Elizabeth is still... We'll call it on maternity leave from Best to the Nest. So my guest host tonight is Ian Punnett again. Thank you so much for joining me, hon. When I'm on, the show is called Second Best to the Nest. <laughs> That's right. I like It's not that. really as good as the real thing. It's not as good as Elizabeth, but, you know, okay, I'll be second. Okay, so I should start over. Maybe third best after Jay. I don't, I don't know. know. We'll do I'm Marjorie Punnett. This is second best to the nest yep. with guest host Ian Punnett. There you go. It's a big day. So the last time you were on with us last week and we were talking about your new book, which came out yesterday, How Millennials Can Lead Us Out of the Best We're In, and you have some kind of big news. I, I think so, yes. I, I, for the first time ever, a publisher gave me the requisite number of copies that they had stipulated in my contract. <laughs> that's not the big that news. That was pretty big news because that's like never happened before. <laughs> that's not the big news. What's no? the big news? It, it, it sold a few copies, which was nice. Yeah. So we were – we did a lot of uh, pre-promotion for it, but then all of the – breaking news and everything for the last three weeks kind of shut that down. So we weren't exactly sure what to expect in the day that it dropped. However, within the first 24 hours, we were ranked roughly five and six on a bunch of different Amazon categories, such as Christian leadership, Hebrew Bible, which was fun to see. Yeah, that's kind of cool. And then most importantly, we were number one in new releases under the Christian leadership category. Which is wonderful. And here's here's why. The book is about leadership lessons through Moses. The title of the book is How Millennials Can Lead Us Out of the Mess We're In. And it focuses on a Jew, a Muslim, and a Christian sharing leadership lessons 
from the life of Moses. And we use Moses as a framework to discuss great leadership, but most importantly, millennial leadership as we make the argument, and I think pretty effectively, because we're number one on new releases, so I think that <laughs> settles that, um, that uh, it's it's really all about Moses as the first millennial. He's a good model for millennials. I love this. But why I wanted to talk about this on Best of the Nest is to talk about how do you foster and teach leadership to children. And I was thinking about this today. I don't remember making a conscious effort to teach our children to be leaders. And I think I think that was maybe a reaction to my own self growing up where I very much liked the whole idea of leadership and I was on student council and that was all very important to me. And I, I, I just don't remember doing that necessarily with the kids. I remember sort of teaching them to be good and to be nice and to be a contributor and to pull your weight. But we often have different memories of how we raised our own children who are 29 and 27 now. Do you consciously remember leadership lessons with them? Well, it, 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 as a child, it's just most it's most important to learn to get along. It's kind of the first lesson. So yeah, you know, that's, that's for sure. It's kind of where we were focused. I think was not in a zero sum game of this is what it takes. You're going to have to be a leader, you know, whatever. Our focus right. was on fostering the characteristics, which turns out are the key characteristics for being a great leader. So I would say any parent who raises their children to think about others, to be to make sure that you're concerned that everybody's having a good time and that it's not just about you, to uh, to be honest and trustworthy and most importantly to be humble. And those are three characteristics that we did emphasize raising our children. It just turns out that those are the most important characteristics of an effective leader. Which three did we emphasize? <laughs> Which three did we do? <laughs> well, my wife at the time and I were working on this. I, I'm not Which, sure where you were, but... Which were the three most important that we emphasized? Most importantly <laughs> was was that you were going to be good with the people that were around you. You were making sure that they were having a good time too, that it wasn't just about you. Right. Um, to be honest and trustworthy. Yep. And to be humble. Yep. And that humility piece was big because we had kids who were good at stuff, right? Yeah. And it wasn't – we weren't doing what – it might be considered part of the zeitgeist today, which is uh, everybody hates on the loser and everybody points out losers right. at a certain level in our government or in our culture. That's become a thing. Yeah. And it wasn't when we were raising our kids. And I think that that showed in the way in which if they weren't friends with everybody in their class, they weren't enemies. Right. Right. And I know, I mean, the one thing that I would always say to the kids is to whom much is given, much is expected. And I suppose in a way that's a, that's an easy leadership lesson. But I, I, I just, I was thinking about all of the, when we first met, I was really obsessed with the Kennedys. I'm Irish. Right. I'm Catholic. And it was a natch. It was, it was just it, going to my grandmother's house. She would have a book stand and there was a Kennedy book. Her maiden name was Kennedy. And so and there they was, were so very, very handsome. And they were so you know. handsome. And I think she liked to think that somehow we were all related. You know, it was all the same right. Kennedy clan. So That's it was right. sort of mythic in our family. And I remember 
one of the highlights of my college years is I had gone to the Democratic National Convention and I had met one of Bobby Kennedy's speechwriters. And I just like to me, that was like meeting a rock star. That was just like the coolest thing ever. And we were just starting to date around that time. We were friends already. And I remember you and I having a conversation about the Kennedys. It was our first fight. Yeah, it was. I w- you were completely unimpressed with them. I and we're cared less. I still don't care about them. I know. Them. And you just made it your mission to demystify them for me and to de- de-everything them to me. And me? I was <laughs> – De-everything them? <laughs> you de-everything them. You did. I did not. What was I focused on? I Which don't is know. the irony just, of all ironies. Just, now, at this stage in your life, and the number of times you bring it up around me, what, what was the number one thing? Is their infidelity? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I had no respect for it. Yeah, and I didn't have respect for them personally as a result. And I don't care about all the arguments about presentism or that it was a different time or whatever. I don't care about that. Right. Not everybody cheated on their spouses, yes, and I were- didn't. There were men in and the I don't six- respect it. There were there were men in the sixties who didn't cheat on their wives. Right. <laughs> that is true. There were good men in the nineteen sixties. But it was really hard for me because I had built up this model of what leadership meant and leadership meant inspiring people. It meant being passionate. And so they got a couple of the things right on the leadership list, but I think you're right. Their personal failings, you kind of have to, you have to sideline them a, a little bit on that. But in, well, and this is the irony of course, is that later on that becomes a number one focus of one young Marjorie Punnett. If she was always pointing out celebrities, <laughs> I'm not going to like anymore because they cheated on their wife. But somehow, <laughs> The Kennedy's got a pass. I don't know how that happened. You know, it's been a long time since we've broadcast together. I had forgotten the variety of voices that you had for me that were in your head. Can, can mm. I hear that one again? Yeah, and, and still are. Still because are. <laughs> apparently, because when I hear it, what I hear is for the same reason that I started calling you Margaret, is that I was, it was what I hear often is that that kind of me, 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 me kind of thing that you would get into later on and be like, where's the consistency here, lady? Right, right. Well, I try and be more consistent now in my old age. It's still difficult, but Elizabeth and I are both reminded that our when after you and I stopped doing the radio show, our motto for our radio show, for Elizabeth, for our radio show was consistently inconsistent. And it was right. really great to work with a partner who was just as consistent as I was, but I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm learning. But back to no, the, but back to I, the, I, back to the book. Okay. Back to the book and Moses. So if you were going to, if you were going to frame a lecture series for parents on raising good leaders, on, on teaching children how to be, and I think also to identify good leaders, what are the lessons from Moses that you would preach? Well, so in this case, what's interesting is I think the, the, what we learn from Moses is that he was not necessarily born to be a leader. Mm-hmm. He was a late bloomer. He, this is one of the reasons why we make the association with these sometimes stereotypical characteristics of, of millennials, but he had a, a kind of a failure to launch. He grew up privileged. Hmm. He had, he was a palace dweller. He was perfectly happy to let the status quo carry on throughout his day, even though 
his own people, and he knew that he was an Israelite, that his own people were suffering in slavery. And there's a breaking point where he commits a crime and is exiled and as a fugitive seeks refuge away from justice, doesn't even won't has no interest in standing and being judged. He leaves and he heads out to the out into the into the desert and he picks up a new wife and has a new life, a new set of children. And that his character development starts later in life. But when it does, he finds that kind of humility um, that in the, in the story, both in the Quran and in the uh, Hebrew Bible, what Christians call the Old Testament, that, the, that God recognized in his kindness to even the smallest of creatures. Well, where did that come from? What changed? Well, I think he would the, – the, the claim is is that he began a self-realization process and he saw what his life was. He saw what he had – he knew what he had done. Interestingly enough, in the Bible, when Moses snaps and somewhere as a – not a teenager, not even a young man, but as a slightly older adult – he sees as a prince of Egypt, although never to ascend to the throne, he would have lived comfortably for the rest of his life in, right. the, in the in the palace household. He sees a cruel overseer whipping a slave, and he has a moment of rage. In the Bible, he looks left and looks right, basically kind of looks around and attacks the overseer and kills him on purpose, drags his body out into the sand and buries him, and then attempts to cover up for his crime. In the Quran, the Quran's actually slightly nicer to Moses in the similar narrative, and they refer to it as accidentally killing the right. cruel overseer. But the result is the same. And I think that's one of those moments when when we're raising people to be young adults, we have to be mindful that the path they seem to be set on doesn't have to be their future. Right. And and it, just because they've gotten comfortable or because they don't seem to be any in any hurry to get out of the basement, that they can still <laughs> surprise you becoming a leader and, and, and a humble one at that. And actually, I, I love that. And I love that for parents of preteens and teenagers. Is I think I would always tell our kids, your story's not written. Right. Everything's in front of you. And, and they were good students. I mean, they were fairly easy children to raise. But I, I, and I think anybody that's in the midst of, of teenagers right now, whether it were, whether it was pre-COVID or COVID, there's that idea, there's a lot of chatter that starts about, you know, how is your kid doing in high school? Where are they going to go to college? What are they going to be? What are they going to do? And I always tried to diffuse that with our kids because I thought it was, I just thought it was mind chatter that was kind of pointless. And that's not to say I didn't care about their grades because I did. I was yeah. I was always yeah. sort of on them in that sense that they, those were important. But what I always said to them is they are important because they keep doors open. That's it. They're not important so that you can go to Harvard and then go to law school and then or be a doctor. That's not why grades are important. Grades are important is because they're just they're they're a, they're a free pass to a future. 
and it makes your life less complicated. That if you can get good grades, it's your duty to get them so your life is less complicated. But I love that idea of telling parents, look, wherever your child is, whatever they're doing, I think that if you if you keep loving them, and this is simplistic, and I know that, that that, that the story's not written. And I, I think that's I, I love that that's a Moses lesson. What else do you have? Oh, what else you got? What else? You, anything else in there? Anything of value? This is the way the show works, Ian. What do you got for me? All right, cough it up. What else? And you wonder why I have voices of you in my head. All right, what else you got? Okay. What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? I don't like that voice. Well, I don't just, like that one. That's how you spoke to me. I'm I'm here with you. What else you got? Give me something else. Oh, that's just the way. It's like I'm, a, I'm an outline kind of girl. What else you got? Yeah, okay, I thought but, it was friendly. Yeah, but you're not wearing like a green shade and smoking a cigar. What else you got, kid? Come on. Give me something I can work with. We only okay. got 20 minutes here. Come on now. How about this, darling? What else do you have, sweet man? Oh, I, I, I <laughs> how like, is that? I'll, I'll take that. But okay. how about how about this? You know what's really funny? What I really like about the leadership lessons is uh-huh. that that Moses, when he was given this huge opportunity, right? He's he's called to a burning bush, right? Uh, and he the burning bush starts to speak to him, mm-hmm. uh, which right there would seemingly for most of us be like. Whatever you have to say, I will do because yes. this has never happened before ever. Yes. And in the in the Quran, there's actually no reference to a bush. It's just a, a kind of a free floating fire out in the out in the desert. Oh, that's that, interesting. Yeah, it's another. There's also another one too. I was like when. Moses doesn't believe in a way that he's the person for the job when God calls him to to liberate the the children of Israel and he first he has him turn a, a serpent into a rod and then the rod back into a serpent and then he says stick your hand into your cloak and withdraw it and Moses does in the Bible he sticks his hand into his cloak withdraws it and it's leprous it's white as snow and then he puts it back into his cloak and pulls it out and his hand is fine. In the Quran, the Quran is much more specific in a very funny way, I think. It, in the Quran, the Arabic word is, uh, is stick your hand under your armpit. Oh, really? I, yeah. <laughs> Allah tells Moses to put his hand in his, his armpit, armpit. <laughs> and pulls it out. It's leprous, puts it back in, and it's all fine again. But I was like, armpit? It was just like such a... Such a particular body part. It'd be right. like saying rolls right. of fat or something. Right. <laughs> was... right. Anyway, so what is immediately Moses says, I can't do this. I, and he, God's like, hey, wait, I'm God. You can do this. I see the big picture. You're the, you're perfect because your humility will disarm Pharaoh. He will have, you will not, you will be the perfect person to free the children of Israel, these lambs that are trapped. Although in the Old Testament, the it, actually the original Hebrew is goat. It was a baby goat. Right. But this is where, to me, I think right away, Moses says, I need my brother. I need help. And God's like, what? And Moses identifies. He said, I am heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue. Hmm. So we don't know what the speech impairment is. Right. But it's something that made Moses very self-conscious. And in... In the Bible, Aaron does most of the talking. 
Oh, that's that's so interesting. And they've no no scholar has ever determined what that was. You can't because right. you don't know whether was it a stutter, was it heavy in that way? Right? Did he have kind of a mush mouth kind of thing like I had when I was a kid? Right? I, I don't know. But whatever it was, he he felt right away that he needed to form a coalition, and so God helps him make arrangements to meet up with his brother with whom he had not had a conversation for decades. And then eventually his brother leads him to the elders of the children of Israel in captivity, and he further involves them. And all along the process, he's always bringing other people into his leadership model. So it's, again, in that sense, it's very millennial. He's he's not attempting to be the kind of guy who would say, I alone can fix this. Right. It's or, all about me. I consult my perfect brain and I ask myself <laughs> and whatever. He didn't do that. And here he had God being the one who actually is telling him, no, you're Moses. You can do this. So in that sense, in this sense of, of leadership, that kind of humility, that, that it's an important lesson. But what we see is that that's very – that's so easy for millennials to imagine. Right. And it's one of the reasons why the Avengers is more popular than Superman. Oh, Just I love a, that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's Not, team building, collaboration. It, it is. And it speaks perfectly to Moses and in, to our, our, our current generation who is rising in power. I mean, sucks to be a Gen Xer because they're kind of going to get bypassed over right. this. But, but It is interesting, well, though. I'm working on a team right now that has millennials. And even the language with which they speak to one another in a meeting – Right. is different than the meetings I was having when I was their age, which tended to be much more top down. Right. Um, and I don't know I don't know where that's coming from for them. But it is it's so it's so clear and it is so different and it's actually quite pleasant because I just don't remember I don't remember when I was in my young 20s that meetings went quite the way the last couple of meetings I have had have gone. I just right. like the way they speak to one another and the way that they speak to me. It's very respectful. It's very focused. But it it it, it and it it is there is a high a high value on collaboration and team. Seventy percent um, less Lord of the Flies. Yes, <laughs> yes. Thank goodness. And, Thank goodness. And the, and the post World War Two model, which the older baby boomers especially resonated with was the what we call the command and control model. Yeah. So it was the you know, the head of the corporation is a general. Underneath them you've got their lieutenants right. and underneath them and all right. the way down to the privates that are and we're just over that. Nobody comes out of that that style anymore. And even the military itself fosters an in many cases where it can be not as long as it doesn't interrupt what needs to get done, they also are push a, a new kind of collaborative model. And um, I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and there's always a sense of next man up, although that sounds sexist. It's not. It's the belief that everybody on the team has got to be willing to step up and help somebody else who's fallen on right. the team. Right. I do love that. And I think about I think about something that we talked about last week when we were talking about fatherhood is when you talk about 
sort of integrating these these ideas into your own family, it goes back to, I think, the one thing that we did do in our family, which was not top-down. You were not, it wasn't a patriarchy. You didn't treat you didn't treat our family like you were ruling our family. No. It was very much a team effort and a cooperative effort. And I think what's been fun to see with our own kids as adults is I see that in them. I see that in them. And and I love that. And it'll be interesting to see if they ever decide to get married or they ever decide to have children, how they'll structure their own families, what they'll take of that model, and then what they'll bring with their own millennial sensibilities to the idea of building a family. Right. I, I think we always had that sensibility that it was – I always sort of joked and said we were Punnett Corp. We were a little business. Right. It's just the way I looked at it. But it was a matter of being we are, we are the Punnett team. And whether we were going out to do an appearance or something at work, they came with us and and they were part of that team. And um, damn it, you're going to smile and you're going to like it when people come up and talk to you. You're going <laughs> to hand them the... I remember those conversations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what else you got? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now you're trying to pass it off like something you do on purpose. Like so it's, what else like you it's got? a little fun love play. <laughs> it is a love play. What no. else you got, fun it? Well, here's here's what I will offer as a summation to this, which is that I, I do believe, and this is more me perhaps, but it it is interesting to see that how the story ends in in the Moses narrative, and that's how does it the, end? How does it end? No, you know what, Catholic schoolgirl, let me ask you, how does it end? No, don't do this to no, me. No, please, I will not. No, no. I, I will think not. you bring up a good point. No. How does it end? I how does say- the Moses story end? Okay. You know, this is a particular weakness of mine intellectually. You can you've seen think, the Prince of Egypt? You've I have seen not. the Ten Commandments start. I have yes, not. you have. Yes, you have. I have not with Charlton Heston. I know there's a parting of the Red Sea. Okay, that's kind of at the beginning. That's and how, then you're gonna have to fill that's in how the, the rest. Spark, that's how the party gets started. Okay. Okay, so go there. So tell me how it ends. Tell me the story. <laughs> so and let's just hope none of your nuns are listening right now. Uh, you would this would definitely not be an A plus moment. <gasps> Dare I say it? Uh, so uh, Moses wanders around the desert, the wilderness for how many years, Marjorie? Forty. Okay, why forty? Because it's a good number. <laughs> yes, and Moses, the Lord <laughs> spoke unto Moses and said, "What is a good number?" Yes. I'm liking forty. Forty. No, he he he. They, he marched the children of Israel who had come out of several generations of captivity, uh, where they were inclined to worship golden idols, and when in moments where they were in crisis, went back to worshiping golden idols, and he marched them around for forty years so the older generation would die off. Ooh, that's dark. No. It's actually brilliant. And if we look at it, if we extrapolate from that, like say a corporation, it, unfortunately, it means that sometimes the, the people who are senior most in making decisions, and perhaps we could look at this right now in our country, where a 77-year-old white guy is running against another 74-year-old white guy, right. th- that in many ways, that leadership doesn't represent both the people who are being led and also the goals of this new incorporation. Right, which which th- that is really interesting, which brings us back to the title of your book, 
I mean, that's exactly it. Yeah. How millennials can lead us out of the mess we're in. But Moses himself said, I will not make it to the promised land either. Right. So in that self-sacrificing way, Moses and the older generation who could never quite break away from being mental captives – from following an old leadership model, for wanting a tyrant, for at times desiring the law and order of a of a violent despot, right? Um, they had they decided uh, they died, and then it was left to the generation and the handpicked leaders that Moses had had worked so hard to educate to take the children of Israel into the promised land, right? And that's. That's a very interesting metaphor, I think, for our times. It's time for baby boomers to get their hands off the wheel. It's time for baby boomers to do what they can to assist the upcoming generations, but stop making it be about building pyramids unto ourselves where we think somehow we will get lasting immortality if we can just dip the country in lacquer the way we want it and, and let it freeze hard. And this is this is what I think is important when we talk about how millennials can save us is first we have to save – baby boomers have to save themselves from themselves. Right. Nobody else can do it. And it's time for the RNC and the DNC to stop emphasizing that and to start putting its money and and its encouragement into helping nurture the next generation of leaders. Well, I believe that for sure on the political front. And I think because this is about we focus mainly on the family on this podcast, what I think is interesting even about that lesson, it's a lesson even for, if you think about it, for grandparents and parents of adult children. I like the idea of being a matriarch of a family, but with that comes a certain amount of allowing the family to to become what it's supposed to become as the next generation grows older, right. and, and I not think, infantilizing the adult children. Right, and I think I think that that's a really important thing, even to think about in your own family. That if you're, and I, I I'll, I'll say something about your grandmother, and I hope this isn't right. offensive. Oh no, but she's a perfect example of what not to do. Of what not to do is that she had such a profound effect on your mother and father and then right. on, on, on you, of course, because she controlled the family because she controlled the money. The family and fortune. The family, yeah. And I think that that's such a dangerous... and. It doesn't have to be money. It can be any number of things that a person feels like they get to control everything just because. And that idea of loosening up on loosening the grip, letting the next the next generation take the place, letting them lead the family to where letting the family needs fail. to go. Yeah, and let, there, which is really that. a key part is is letting them make the mistakes they're going to make and not try to be uh, out there. T- telling this next generation, oh, I shouldn't do that. Oh, no, I shouldn't do that. I mean, just let them fail yeah. where there's fail and let them learn because in the end, they will benefit just like we would allow our own children to fail instead of helicoptering in and trying to stop any bad thing from happening. Right. When we, when I knew we were going to talk about the book and we were going to talk about leadership, I thought, I, I as I often do, I just go back to and I just look up the word. What what does leadership actually mean? And it was odd to me that the definition that came up is 
a person who leads a group of people or, or an organization. That was the definition, of, the first definition of leadership that came up. And I think so many times we we think of leadership, we sort of put on it positive things. And it doesn't necessarily mean leadership just means you are leading people. Good leadership is a whole different story. And, and I think and, – sorry, go ahead. And, well, I want to jump in on that because I think that's such a great point. And good leaders, good leaders are defined as custodians. Oh, I love that. And we think about custodians – in terms of like janitors, right? I mean, that's like, that's probably where the word gets used the most, unless we're talking about it in a legal sense. Mm-hmm. But custodian in an older context meant the person who held the greater good of the community in his or her hands. And they were, they, they had a special place. Uh, the custodians of the church, for example, in in the early days, these church wardens were the custodians. They tended to live in the basement. They were non-ordained, but they were there to keep kids from turning over gravestones. They were there to mow the lawn. They were there to keep the lights on when it needed to be. And the, that was all done for the community in a very much of a second, not a nine to five kind of concept, right. but this is what I'm doing for the community. Oh, I love that idea. A, being a custodian is how Walter Lippmann thought of leadership too, and he was, you know, sort of the, the the grandfather of public relations and more. But he he that's how he referred to it. Good leadership was being a, a custodian, and it's important to know what the goals and dreams are of the people that you're leading. That's what defines a great leader: is you're helping them achieve their dreams. They're not there to help you achieve yours. I love that. Well, if you want to find out more about the book, you can just go to themosesbook.com. I still am waiting for my copy, but maybe I'll just have to go buy one, Ian. (laughs) There's one waiting for you right here, along with some pretty good food. Excellent. I'll I'll come pick it up. You know where I live, cheeky pants. (laughs) I'll come pick it up in Kansas. Again, the book is How Millennials Can Lead Us Out of the Mess We're In. The website is themosesbook.com. God, I can't say that. The website is themosesbook.com. But you made it. (laughs) I did. That's right. Themosesbook.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. So we often read email or reviews from our listeners. And Cindy writes, as usual, this is about the COVID savings episode. She said, as usual, this episode was engaging and funny, yet it struck a different chord as well well, empathy. I so felt your empathy for others who may be lacking and heard your gratitude for what you have. Empathy is a virtue that the world cannot survive without. Thanks for the reminder. And I think we can put that under good leadership as well. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? 
Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.